Our Father in heaven, we, we heartily agree with the words that we've sung. Your name is holy. You've taken our shame. We long to bring you laud and honor and praise. Our Father, we love you. We love you. And we ask you now to open our eyes. Help us see your Son for who he is. In his name we pray. Amen. So from what I understand, you wonderful folks at Adamsville have been doing the same sermon series that we have. And for those who aren't from New Creation or Adamsville, I have no idea what you've been doing. <laughs> so from what, I, from what I gather, we've both done a series on the humanity of Jesus, and this is the final sermon in that series. A lot of times we talk about how Jesus was God, and he was and is, Sometimes we focus so much on that, we lose sight that he was a normal man. He was a normal man. So this is what we've covered the last few weeks. First sermon, Jesus, the God-man. He's God, he's man, he's both. Then after that, we focused in on Jesus, Jesus the human. Like he slept, he cried, he bled, he got tired, he ate fish. He was a guy, you know. Then we looked at Jesus, the man who did everything that he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, last week, Sunday, the sermon was, Only a man can take the sins of a man. That was last week. And now we're up to this week, the big finale. And so you might be wondering, and I, I pose the question to you, what's a Christmas Eve sermon supposed to be on? You think, Jesus was born, right? Yes. So what's, what's the significance? Why was he born? What's this sermon supposed to be on? And you might think, um, hope, which is true. You might think, peace, which is true. He's the Prince of Peace, right? You might think, and so imagine, I imagine this is probably what most of you thought, to take away our sins, which is true. And yet today we won't talk about those so much. Today we're going to go a different direction from where we normally go, and I'm kind of looking forward to it. I think this will be interesting. Today we're going to look at how Jesus had to be a man because the Bible from beginning to end is all about God's desire to have a man reign over the earth. From beginning to end, the Bible is all about his desire to have a man reigning over the earth. You might be thinking, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Well, give me about 28 minutes, and hopefully we'll all be on the same page. I told you, this is not your normal hope, peace, and love Christmas Eve sermon, is it? So, if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I'll tell you the three things that we're going to focus in on. And they all rhyme. I worked really hard to make them rhyme, so hopefully I didn't work too hard and it, it, it makes no sense here. Hopefully it makes sense. We're going to look at the calling, the falling, and the installing. Calling, falling, installing. And I hope you can keep that in your head. All right? And as we go through them, you'll see calling under what, falling under where, and installing who, who's being installed, okay? 
<laughs> so I hope everyone's back in Genesis chapter 1 now. And I think everyone's there except for me. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God made all that we see. Here we're going to look at the first point, the calling. God has a calling on humanity. What was humanity's calling? Humanity's calling was to rule on God's behalf on earth in a way that he likes. God's the big king up in heaven, and he actually wants people to exercise his reign and power and kingship on earth. Let me show this to you. It's right here in Genesis chapter 1. He made all things, right? And he made Adam and Eve, right? And look what he tells them to do in chapter 1, verse 26. Chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them, hear this word, rule. That's what kings do. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. And over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. That's a kingly word. Rule, that's a kingly word. This is what kings and queens do. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So here's what we get on page one of the Bible. It's really incredible. You've got God, the maker of all, makes one man and one woman. And he says, rule everything on my behalf. You're the man, Adam. You're the woman, Eve. Do a good job. Go for it. You have my blessing. Literally, he blessed them and said, rule. Be the king. Be the queen. You call the shots. This is your dominion. It's all yours. Just do it in a way that I want you to do it. Just do it good. Do it well. Do it well. Let me give you an illustration of what this is kind of like. Um, one obvious illustration would be like if you go to work, right, and you do your job and you've got a supervisor and your supervisor tells you what to do and you carry out the work on behalf of the supervisor. Whose will is being done? Yours or the supervisor's? Both. Both are being done together. Here's another example I was thinking of. I told Lydia that I would share this one. And she said, it's okay. So this one has my daughter's uh, approval. Let's say Angela is busy and um, Luke is struggling and Luke needs a book read to him. And he's just not doing well. So Angela says, Lydia or Abby now, you go read Luke a book. And they go and they read Luke a book. And he's happy and content. That's not a threat to my wife's authority at all, is it? It's actually awesome. She loves it. 
She's exercising her authority through Lydia and Abigail doing something on her behalf. And it's a sign, actually, of how much authority my wife does have. So to begin, first idea here. We'll focus in later on when we get to Jesus, of course. First idea is God is so powerful and so kind and has such a humble heart that he actually wants to partner with people. He actually wants Adam and Eve to govern over the world in a way that reflects his character. He actually wants humans to do stuff for him. Isn't that amazing? Like, you think God needs people? You think God needs Adam or Eve? You think he needs you? No. He doesn't need us at all. And yet God, being humble as he is, actually wants Adam and Eve to govern over the world on his behalf. To rule. And this is mind-blowing. This is absolutely mind-blowing. Let me read from Psalms chapter 8. I'll just read it. Just listen. I just want you to listen. When I say mind-blowing, I really mean it. David's mind was blown by this. Hear what David says when he thinks about Genesis chapter 1 and 2. David says in Psalm 8, verse 3 and following, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the spiritual beings. You crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So this is our calling. This was Adam and Eve's calling originally. To take care of the world. To have the world be a place that God would feel at home. To live in a world that reflects God's character. To live in a world where everywhere you go, love and peace is all that you find. And that lasted for like a week, maybe. So we're going to go from the calling now to the falling. So Genesis chapter 3. I think you know this story. We were called to rule on God's behalf. And yet we didn't. Adam and Eve rebelled against the Lord. And you know the story, don't you? You see the one fruit, right? Says the serpent. Why don't you eat it? Oh no, we're not supposed to touch that. We're not supposed to eat that. That's the knowledge of good and evil. You see, God's the big king. We're supposed to listen to him and do what he says. Oh no, says the serpent. Why don't you listen to what I say? Why don't you let me be your king? Why don't you say, I'm number one, says the serpent. This is basically what's going on here. Who will Adam and Eve listen to? Will they trust God? 
or not? And of course they don't. You see, God called Adam and Eve to rule on his behalf. And yet, instead of listening to God and ruling and reigning under him, they listened to the serpent. I want to read one verse for you in particular. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. I'll start in verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. What's just happened is, Adam and Eve have sided with, we know, the devil. This is the, I was trying to think, how would you come up with an illustration or picture for this? Let's say um, your dad was like a football coach or something. If you don't do football, just pick something else. And your dad wants you to coach the team on his behalf. And so your dad gives you the playbook, right? And you go, thanks, dad. I'm ready to study the playbook, and I'm going to get the plays down. I'm going to coach the team on your behalf, and we're going to win. And then the head coach from the other team walks up to you and says, hey, call these plays instead. And you go, aye, aye, captain. I'll call those plays instead. And your father's just left there saying, whose side are you on? That's what happened in the story, okay? Is that, do you see that? They're supposed to listen and rule for God. Now they're listening and obeying this serpent, who we know is no mere serpent. It's talking for Pete's sake. This is some crazy creature. We know this is the evil one, the devil. And so instead of being alive and living under the goodness of God and ruling on his behalf and establishing a world where love and peace and justice flourish, Adam and Eve abdicate their responsibility and there is now no one ruling over the earth for God from Genesis 3 throughout the rest of scripture. There is no one ruling over the earth on God's behalf from Genesis 3 on. They switch teams. They're calling plays for the bad guy. And so the Bible, is, the Bible is, is asking this question. Who will reign for God again? Who will be the human who will come along and get it right? Is there any human who's worthy? Is there any human who can perfectly show the world how it looks to exercise authority in a way that resembles the way God would do it? Who? Who, who is it? not Adam, it's not Eve, they decided to side with the devil by taking it. Who will fix all that has gone wrong? And your answer is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Verse 15, God is cursing the snake, and he says, 
I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. There's a promise in all this darkness that one day a child will be born, and this child will smash the head of evil and the devil forever. This child will fix what Adam has done wrong. And what did Adam do wrong? What did Eve do wrong? They said, God, I don't like what you said. I don't like your boundaries, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to take what I want. It's mine for the taking. You can't tell me what to do, God. And this has been the condition of humans even still today. Everyone wakes up with one thing on their mind, it seems to me. What can I take today? What can I take out of you? What can I take out of you? How much time of yours can I take? I have, I have students who regularly steal things from stores. They, just, they call it the five-finger discount. <laughs> That's what they call it. They turn it into a joke. I'll just take this. I'll just take that. This is the human condition. And Adam is show, Adam started it and Eve started it. I'll just take what's mine by force to show you that I can call my own shots. Adam and Eve saw that the fruit was good, and so they took it. Because they want to call their own shots, and they did. And now who is left to reign on God's behalf? Who is left to show us how to be humans the way we should be human? I'll just quickly share another story before we move on to the installing. Along the way in the Old Testament, you get story after story after story that's filled with language from Genesis 3 about people who take the forbidden thing, whatever it is. And every time, that's the Old Testament's way of telling you, they're not the ones. They're not the ones. So, for example, in Genesis chapter 16, Abraham can't have kids, which is a problem, because he's supposed to, right? And so, Sarah says, you need to take Hagar and make a family, and Abraham listened to the voice of his wife and took her. Just like Adam listened to the voice of his wife and took the fruit. It keeps going. You could look at David in 2 Samuel 11. Do you remember the David and Bathsheba story? David's king of Israel, and he looks like an awesome dude. He's standing on top of his palace, and he looks and sees a beautiful woman bathing. And he sees that she is good. And so he takes her. He takes her. He's no better either. This is the human condition. We're takers. I was telling my wife earlier, you know, I feel like when your kids are like two and three and four, the only thing you tell them all day is like, stop taking. Don't take. Don't take. Don't take. Don't, you should just get a sign, you know, and just like raise it up over and over again. <laughs> it's just nonstop. 
but it doesn't stop whenever they're kids. We're still takers in our heart. We're still selfish. And so from the beginning, I hope you see, God has wanted a human to rule over the world. That was Adam's job. This is what David was supposed to do, supposed to rule over the people of God on God's behalf. But like Adam and Eve, he takes what's not his and falls into the prey, falls into the hands of the devil. Well, finally, I think you know where we're going. There's somebody who comes along and he finally gets it right. And if you're going to have a human ruling over the world on God's behalf, well, he's going to have to be a human. But the problem is God has looked all over the world and there's no one good enough. So what do you do? When you've got so many options and no one measures up, what do you do? It's quite a conundrum, isn't it? From the beginning, God wants a human to come and reign and reflect his character, but none of us have God's character. I certainly don't. And so God has a solution. I'll send myself. God becomes a man. Because from the beginning, that was the plan. From the beginning, the plan was for a man to show us how to live on behalf of God. And God becomes a man. The man Christ Jesus. I want you to turn to the book of Luke, and we're just going to flip through the book of Luke now. And as we go through the book of Luke, I'll point out a few verses along the way. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Mary and Joseph have just reached Bethlehem in Luke chapter 2. Verse 6 says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Here is the special baby we've been waiting for, all the way from Genesis 3, who will show us how, how to represent God on earth. Notice he's called the firstborn, which is a term in the Old Testament for kings, actually. Like, do you really have to tell us this is Mary's firstborn kid? I think we know this is Mary's firstborn kid, right? Why are you telling us this is Mary's firstborn? Of course it is. Because this is a word in the Old Testament used for kings. That's what this word's all about here. Now, this little boy grows up. And turn to chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1, if you look at your subtitle, it probably says something like the temptation of Jesus, doesn't it? Which is a great subtitle. Look at the verse right before it. It's the end of a genealogy. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, 
If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Wait, so who's the Son of God? Is it Adam or is it Jesus? Did you catch that? Did you catch it? Right before this story starts, it says Adam is the Son of God, which makes sense. Like, who's Adam's dad? Like, God. <laughs> it couldn't be anyone else. And so you have this little tidbit. Adam's God's son. And then you get this story all about the devil talking to Jesus. Jesus, are you the son of God? I tangled with the son of God before and I brought him down. And now he listens to me. And I've conquered all humans since he's come. No son of God has stood a chance to me. That's the sense here. That's what you're supposed to be thinking. Verse, four, verse 3, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. Well, that didn't work, so the devil tries something else. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. Now listen to this. This is crazy. For it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Who gave the devil all the kingdoms of the world? There's only one option. Adam. Adam did it. Adam was ruler of the world on God's behalf. And then he sided with the devil. And now the devil stands before a new and better Adam. And he says, the first son of God, he gave it all to me. So I can give it to you if you want. You're the king, right? You're supposed to be the ruler of the world, right? Well, you can have it all right now if you want it. Just take it. All you've got to do is listen to my words. That's all you have to do. Just bow down real quick. Give me a little worship and you can be king. If you are the king, why wouldn't you take me up on this offer? It's yours, right? This is sick, sinister stuff, isn't it? You see what's going on here? This is bad news stuff. And Jesus, of course, has nothing of it. He says, forget you. He quotes the Bible, and he defeats the devil, the son of God, the new Adam, the better Adam, the one we've been waiting for has come, and finally, someone has resisted the devil. Finally. I'm glad somebody got it right. Jesus is not interested in taking what the devil has to offer. He's not interested in taking. He's not a taker. What is he? Luke chapter 22, verse 19. We just keep walking through Luke here. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. This is at the Lord's Supper. And he takes the bread and he gives thanks and he breaks it and he gives it to, him, to them, to his disciples, saying, talking about his death on the cross, what does he say? This is my body given for you. Given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're seeing what's going on here. You've got the first Adam who wrecks it all because he just wants to take what's his. Not rightfully his, 
but wants to take what's not rightfully his and make it his. And now you've got this new guy who shows up and says, I will give to you what's not rightfully yours. I will give it to you. I'm not interested in sucking all I can out of, out of this life. I'm interested in giving to this world. I'm interested to, in giving to this life. I'm interested in giving my very life to you. And the exact opposite of the guy who messed it all up. And if I do the opposite of what he did, I'm going to have the opposite outcome. We're going to have a new man on the throne showing humans like you the way it was supposed to be the whole time. Jesus makes good on his words here, and he dies. He dies, bearing the death that Adam brought onto the world. And he dies in place of us because he gives his life in our place. And then he rises from the dead. Turn to Luke chapter 24. He has risen from the dead now. And here's an amazing, amazing verse in verse 30. So he's walking with the guys who are on the road to Emmaus, these two men, and they don't realize it's Jesus for some reason. Start in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now hear this. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Sound familiar? Then their eyes were opened. That's massively significant. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Okay, the breaking of the bread is a picture of his death. We've seen that, right? It is given for them. So as he gives them his life, as he dies for them, their eyes are opened. This is the same exact words from Genesis chapter 3. They ate of the fruit, and their eyes were opened, that they were naked and shamed. And now, when Jesus doesn't take, but when Jesus gives, our eyes are opened, and we don't see shame anymore. We see Jesus. We see a broken body for us so that we don't need any more shame. He took it all on the cross. What's there to be ashamed of? What are you going to accuse me of that will shame me? I'm worthy of death. I'm so guilty that it takes the death of God on a cross to cleanse me. I know. I'm guilty. How can you shame me? I'm forgiven. That's the point. Their eyes are open. And they see a man who has loved them unto death. So turn to Luke chapter 24 now, verse 50. What is the result of all of this? Chapter 24, verse 50. When he had led them out, when Jesus led his disciples out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Where was, why is he taken up into heaven? Being taken up into heaven, according to the Old Testament, to be seated at the right hand of God. He's the new king who reigns with God. 
I've heard it said recently. I like it. God's throne is a two-seater. From the beginning, it's a two-seater. God reigns through his human agent. And Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, still a human, being and doing everything that Adam never did and was. He has replaced Adam from the beginning all the way to the end of Luke. We've seen this Adam-Jesus comparison. And Jesus succeeds where Adam failed because Jesus came to give and not to take. And this is the way we humans were made to be the whole time. Who is God? How do we rule on earth in his behalf? How do we show the world what God is like? What do we do? We give. We give. We give our money. We give our time. And hardest of all, we give our hearts. We give our hearts to people, and they might shatter it, all right? They will. But we give as Christ has given. We don't look at people and opportunities and say, what can I take and squeeze out of it for my own selfish ends? Like Christ and by his grace and by the Holy Spirit, this world needs givers. It needs givers, not takers. And this is what the birth of our Savior calls us to. He came to rule over the world. How? By giving his life. And when God sees someone finally giving instead of taking, he says, you're worthy. You alone are worthy, my son. You alone are worthy, Jesus. Rise up, take your throne, and rule, and show my people how to live. So I just close by asking a simple question. Do you know how to be a human? Well, do you see your life as a gift from God, and that life is yours to pour out to make others whole. That's how to be a human. The way to be a human is to give who you are to help others be better, mainly better by knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I am so grateful that Jesus has shown us how to live. Adam, Adam and Eve just wanted to take David just wanted to take. Samson just wanted to take. Abraham just wanted to take. The whole world just wants to take for their own selfish ends. And then finally Jesus came. And he resisted the evil one. And he is your son. And he gave his life. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And so give us grace now to give our lives away. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.